0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California.
1: It's always a blessing to be here. At my age, it's a blessing to be anywhere. <laughs> By God's grace, I graduate to 70 in two months. And uh, I-, I notice all of us are getting a little more uh, chronological aging under our belts. Uh, I-, I think your hairline's receding even more, David. Thank you. <laughs> I've been cutting my own hair for 20 years, and two weeks ago, Domino's came on with that advertisement. That guy, you know, he turns and he gaps his whole head, and I think I heard the same advertisement. I gapped the back of my head, so I had to raise my whole back (laughs) hairline. We've already had worship. We could close it down right now and go. (laughs) Um, That's what music's all about, and the worship of the Lord. Uh, Dr. Jerry Falwell Sr., always taught us back at Liberty in the 70s, Singing is the first half of the worship service. It sets the whole tone for the Word of God. And uh, worship is meditating in God's Word. We always want to back it up with Scripture, whatever we think, right? And life isn't rocket science. It's, God made it very simple. If you do right, you feel right, right, right? And He gave us this book called The Word of God to let us think right so that we could think and do right with our lives. If you think right, you feel right, you act right. Worship is just meditating on the Word of God. There's 150 chapters proving that in Psalms. Singing songs, Psalms, to the Lord. And... Um, and we have that great opportunity to continue in worship now as we come to the Word of God. So would you bow with me in prayer and just asking, asking God afresh and anew at this point in our worship, God, would you keep on speaking to me? And now as we come to your Word, help my heart to be ready and as we sang, thirsty, hungry to receive it. Father God, thank you so much that you have given us a living Word. As your dear son said, your words, my words, he said, are spirit and they are life. God, would you help us to be teachable like little children before you, to be hungry to receive your word. Lord, uh, speak to us and help us uh, to have moldable wills, teachable hearts that we can respond to your call, to your word uh, in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. Pastor texted me two Fridays ago asking if I could give him a text. Well, I, it's always on my heart and mind what one of my mentors taught me over 30 years ago, and I'm still trying to learn it, so I just said Galatians 6.14, Romans 6. And the title of the morning's message from Scripture is Living at the Cross. And um, the, the one mentor that really spoke to me some 30 years ago was a guy named Charles Spurgeon. Um, I was allowed by God's grace and my wife to do postgraduate studies at Southwestern Seminary, did a dissertation on this man, and his whole heartbeat was Jesus. And his deepest study and adoration was in knowing God's Word. And uh, before I go to our text, uh, I wanted to share... uh, One thing Spurgeon said throughout his life that's always stuck with me, he said, I I lived on the love of God. I lived in the love of God daily. Um, One of the verses I'm trying to memorize is Psalm 133, 8 and 10. Let the morning bring me word of your unfailing love because I entrust my life to you. Show me the way that I should go because I trust in you. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Amen. May your good spirit lead me on level paths. And then Psalm 90 says, we sang about it this morning, but the words are so epic. Satisfy us with, in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all day long. Living in the love of God. And we all know we love Him because He first loved us. As Spurgeon said, if He hadn't chosen me, I would have never chosen Him. Amazing grace, what we sang about. He came for us first before we ever thought about going to Him. Amen. And that's true every day. So... um It's always good to have mentors in our life. I'm glad I got one of my mentors here this morning, Brother Ray. So I can always say, if if old Rod messes up today, blame him. (laughs) But Spurgeon's uh, claim of the greatest to say doctrine in Scripture was the cross. And again, he always wanted to know it from Scripture. So he took it from Galatians 6.14. His mentor, the Apostle Paul Paul, in Galatians 6.14, makes that claim that there is no greater important doctrine than the cross. God forbid that I should glory in anything else except the cross of my Savior by which the world is crucified to me and I to the world. Where did he get that from? From his Savior. Luke 9.23 Deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow me. Uh, We as Southern Baptists, years and years ago, used to have this training. We used to have discipleship training before that, training union, and we had this thing called survival kit. We had versions of it for children, for youth, and adults. We taught in our children's version. You make Jesus Savior of your life once in a lifetime, but you make him Lord of your life one day at a time. We sang about that I get a fresh look, I can see life clearly at the cross. That's what God is wanting for all of us daily, and that's daily available to us by learning to live with our Savior at the cross. I heard M. Grant Lots years ago preach, you know, we a lot of times as Christians, we'll go to the cross and get salvation, but we forget to stay there. And the most important discipline in our lives as Christians is learning to stay at the cross. So I want to ask you, we're not going to go to Romans 6 or Galatians 6, but we're going to 1 Corinthians 9. If you'll turn there, that'll be our base text this morning together. And we're going to stay in 1 Corinthians and visit 2 Corinthians briefly. Romans 6 makes clear our need is to daily acknowledge my life needs to stay at the cross with the Savior. I am crucified with Him. And by learning to live there, I find life. As we're going to see Paul echoing in Corinthians again and again. 1 Corinthians 9, verses 19 to the end of the chapter, and uh, it began yesterday. I love college sports. I played football in high school. I had a little stint in college myself. Unbelievable, but God does miracles even with a little body like mine. But I played at a college school that uh, they were, you know, asking guys to come out of the stand to play. They were so desperate. But the fact is, it's so exciting to get into the college football season. I know money's getting involved more now even at the college level but it's so enthusiastic it's so just playing for the love of the game and putting it all out there on the line and Paul was a sports enthusiast when he wrote this letter to the Corinthian believers at that church he had often visited at Corinth and he had watched those guys go to Corinth they had to be there 9 12 months before the what was called the Isthmian games it was parallel to the Olympic Games over at Athens. And these guys had to train well in advance to qualify for their different events. And what we're reading here as far as these athletic metaphors, these are real guys Paul watched. And so Paul uses that backdrop of athletics to give us understanding and insight about the call to follow Christ And how we view our devotion, our commitment, our allegiance, our loyalty to our Savior daily with our lives. Uh, Please, if I can just throw this in. You might as well write this down in the sermon notes. All these different verses we've looked at. Psalm 143, 8 and 10. Psalm 90. Uh, But this verse has been a true blessing in my life. I have have so much more to learn about it. But Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24. I've I've learned this so much from athletes, professional athletes, different kinds of athletes. When I studied at Dallas Seminary, I actually got to meet Tom Landry while he was still coaching the Dallas Cowboys. I actually got to receive an autograph from him an autograph from from him from my nephew. He came and spoke to us in chapel one day. Here's a guy, you know, you've heard of the Dallas Cowboys? America's team? It was established on his... Legacy. He shared with us in chapel how Christ affected his coaching of those players. So much so at his funeral, Roger Staubach and Tony Dorsett came to tears talking about how his life and example had influenced them and in their lives with their families, how to be husbands and dads. By the way, Staubach was in regular Bible study with Howard Hendricks, that also taught at Dallas. All that to say, uh, athletes, businessmen who are really good, genuine, are people that are humble. I, I looked up this morning when uh, Jim Collins was over at management school at Stanford University wrote his famous book, Good to Great. He said the best executives, he wrote this as a unbeliever, I think he's become a believer since then, but the best executives in America are men who are genuinely humble and have intense professional will that's exactly what Jesus Christ wants to develop in each one of us in our relationship with him genuine humility here's this verse I wanted to share from Jeremiah 9 23 and 24 this is what the Lord says I picked this up out of a book from another chaplain for the Dallas Cowboys the guy's name is Tony Evans you may have heard that name too Let not the wise boast of their wisdom, or the strong boast of their strength, or the rich boast of their riches. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these things I delight. Says the Lord, Amen. I'm trying to teach my grandsons Micah six eight. I'm trying to teach my grandchildren, guys. You know, when life is all over, people are going to think about what you had, what titles you achieved, what you accomplished. So they're going to think about what kind of a person you were. Uh, it's very fresh and real. Um, I tried to cry, but my father-in-law graduated to heaven. Friday morning, 96-year-old World War II vet, but he was a guy that had learned humility and a lot of humor. (laughs) He is probably one of the greatest storytellers in America, and I love listening to his stories. But in those last five years, we had some extended times of conversations, and he had learned that all boasting is about the Lord. Without Him, we're nothing. I think that's scriptural, isn't it? So let's read First Corinthians 9 19 and following, by which this was the text that Landry used when he spoke in chapel. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone. To win as many as possible. To the Jews I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law. Who is going to be in heaven because you were on earth? I think that's a great examination question for us all to prepare, be preparing to take because it's going to be our exam if you are here as a child of God already. Paul says in Acts 20, 24, My life is worth nothing unless I use it to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If we truly are living at the cross, this is what's going to come out of our lives, what Paul is confessing to the Corinthian church. You can win a lot of things in life, you can run a lot of races in life, but make sure you're on this race lane going towards this gold medal with your life. To follow Jesus, whom he said, our Savior, if you follow me, I will make you. I will change you. I will transform you. I will make you the granddad, the dad, the husband. Thank you, Lord. The person at work, at school, whoever you are at this point in your life, I will make you all of that making of us to make us fishers of men. As another one of my ministers said, if you're not fishing, are you following I, I tell you, you know what happened? What happened to Isaiah and Isaiah six? We used to sing this in the Promise Keeper meetings. You know when he saw the Lord high and lifted up. Then you go to verse eight. After Isaiah, man, when I saw the Lord, I realized what Jeremiah was saying in Jeremiah seventeen nine. My heart is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. I I try to teach that to seminary students. I see all the people are working with. Until the day we check out, that's fact. That's truth. Don't you ever get impressed with yourself. Jeremiah just told us that, right? There is only one to be impressed with. John the Baptist taught us that. He must increase, I must decrease. I'm just being transparent. I was sitting here worshiping, enjoying it, and getting ready. Dave says, time to go. And thought hit me, the show's on. And then the Lord said, yeah, there's only one show, it's me. That's right. <laughs> Just, you know, always knowing that in our hearts, without Him and His grace influencing my mind, my heart, my soul, this moment, I'm going south. I know Rod Earls. I've lived with him almost 70 years. He can pull off some doozies <laughs> without the grace of God being activated and active in his life. Same is true for all of us. Let's finish what Paul says here in this passage. Verse 23. Again, I do all this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. Isn't it good to know when God's with you? One of my uh, fellow profs, to say, at Liberty, has written in a book, if you study the Great Commission carefully, that's what Paul's talking about here, right? He's just talking about this what the Lord called us all. We are all called. My, my friend's mentor Spurgeon, one of the things he made very clear to his church, we are all called. That was part of the reason he refused ordination. He taught all of us. In fact, he inserts it right in the very middle of his history of the Metropolitan Tabernacle Church. That was the name of the church in London he pastored. He said, we make no distinction in this church between clergy and laity. Every child of God is called to be a minister and a missionary. I I hope that sinks in. I've been at this for over 30 years trying to understand what Spurgeon was teaching, all these doctrines. It's finally coming out in a book next month. One of the things I hope this book will help contribute to is what Spurgeon taught. We're all priests of the Lord Jesus. We are all called to be ministers and missionaries. Every one of you in this church are important to this church's future and fruitfulness. Uh, From my seat, still participating in a seminary that's reaching around the world, actually, because we do it by internet, 100,000 students. And reaching, reading different authors. I think God's taken us through a transition in America. If we're going to last much longer, we've got to go through a transition in the church. Uh, Mark Devers, Ray, you may have been there too down at Shadow Mountain. Seven years ago, eight years ago in our state annual meeting for California Southern Baptists, he said, we're reaping the fruit of our Million More in 54 campaign. That was pretty good. We've never reached that goal since. We baptized over a million in 54. And I I was part of it. I got to be on evangelism teams. I was, again, in this church, 1974, on evangelism teams. And we would go to two churches a week, traveling, preaching. We got a lot of decisions for Christ. And we were sincere in our efforts. But we weren't, Is careful and sincere about making sure that not only the follow-up was all established, but that we set up front when we shared the gospel with them that Jesus Christ does not give justification without giving sanctification. That's that's in scripture too. And one of the easiest way to figure that out scripturally is that John 17 prayer. Go to John 17, 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Verse 19, I sanctify myself that they may be sanctified. My wife called me on that last Monday night in our Bible home Bible group. And she said, what does sanctify mean, Rod? Maybe not everybody's, you know. She didn't she have to say that, but she, she's always helping me. Sanctification is mean a call to holiness. God wants you and me to be holy.
0: Amen.
1: Now, we're all in process, amen. I've got got some faults I can do this morning. I can prove that one in process. But we're all called to holiness. Uh, Leviticus 20, 21, and 22, four times God says, I make you holy. I make you holy. Church doesn't, pastor doesn't, dear fellow saints don't. That's all a part of the process, but God is the one who shapes our hearts. Schools fix minds, hospitals fix bodies as best they can. Only God can fix the heart. He calls us to holiness. And our evangelism over the years that we've executed has oftentimes missed that understanding and sharing the gospel. If you commit to Jesus Christ, He's going to work on you for the rest of your life to make you what you ought to be. Are you ready for that? Do you want that? Is that what you're signing up for if you say yes to Jesus? I think part of all COVID, a lot of stuff that's going on in the world, again, if we're going to be here much longer, we've, we've got to come back to God in a new and fresh and deeper way. I see this in students all around the world in class and their things they're writing. God's Spirit is speaking to them at a much deeper level than I think I understood when I was going through school for the ministry. All that to say, God... When he calls us to himself and when we experience his grace, we understand, get a glimpse of his holiness and we understand how much he loves us because he gave his only begotten son for us. Oh, that we can surrender to him and his love for us and live in that love 24-7, 365. It just makes us want to love other people. And it certainly makes us want to help those who don't have any taste, any understanding of this amazing grace to be able to drink in that living water into their lives by sharing with them the source of that living water, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Spurgeon said that's, in one sentence, our theology here at Metropolitan Tabernacle. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He wasn't God, but he, he learned a lot of things from God. And He learned to stay living there at the cross throughout His life. So, go buy the book if you want to get all these facts. I hope it can be a help. To, I wrote it to help believers fall more in love with Jesus. And secondly, help believers, followers be more prepared and equipped to fulfill the great commandment, great commission. And Second Timothy 2, 2. Uh, but his words were so right on because they came from the heart of God through the Word of God. His his sermons were translated into forty different languages by the time of his death. 1892 no internet including it was being his sermons being translated into Russian all kinds of people still read because he brought forth the Word of God so simply so clearly now as we close out would you take in your Bible go back to 1 Corinthians 1, just observing a couple of verses along with what Paul writes in chapter 9 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2 to the church of God in Corinth to those sanctified sanctified just simply means to be set apart for God's purposes set apart for God's call set apart for worshiping God and when we worship him We want to do what Paul said to us in in chapter 9. I'm going to do everything with my life that I can some way be a participant in the gospel. Again, that's not just for preachers or for the missionaries we have supported as Southern Baptists through our IMB or through the North American Mission Board. That's for every one of us because you can touch people I will never touch And other Christians won't touch, but God's counting on you and calling you to let Him speak through you His dear Son's message to influence and help others come to know and follow and make known the Lord Jesus Christ with their lives too. To the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be His holy people, guess we can just use that text, you know. Every one of us are called, right? God's Word says that you are called. Paul is writing that to every believer in the church of Corinth. Look at verse 30, chapter 1. It is because of Him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Uh, you, You grew up singing the song, Jesus loves me, this I know. If you can live out that song with your life, you've got all the theology you need, you've got all the understanding of God you need. It's all about Jesus. He must increase, I must decrease. He is the show. Spurgeon wrote, self-display is the death to power. He was writing that to preachers because we get so impressed with ourselves so often. Doesn't happen to you as much, but I'm just saying. But for all of us, self-display is the death to power. What Jesus says, I want to kill self. I want that self to be out of the way so my spirit can fill you. Work through you. Guide you. Speak through you. Bless you with His fruits. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Amen. Gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. We all need that. We all want that. There's only one source it comes from. It comes from God. And we've got to get self out of the way so the Spirit of God can do His thing in our lives. And He wants to do that. Praise God. Would you notice... Chapter 2, verse 2, if we need some proof about this being the most esteemed doctrine by Paul in his heart and life about the cross, look at these words. For I resolved, this means he has done studied thought and reflection, prayerful understanding of Scripture and God's call. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, we want to talk about this preacher that has, man, all these people in his church. We want to talk about this Christian who has all these kinds of degrees. We want to talk about this great experience that we had at the Colosseum with all these people singing to Jesus Christ. Those are all great things. But Paul said, this is one thing I'm going to make sure that we all learn better. Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because that's where I fall in love with Jesus. Praise God!
0: Thank you, Lord.
1: Can we all just set our hearts on understanding daily better? Jesus came to become one of us, just like me, to show me how to live my life to the Father. And in the Father's name, with all those I share life with, He became for me, for you, my template, my example, my energy, my endurance. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians 1 And then, after all of that, he took the signal from the Father and went to the cross and paid for all my sins. He paid all my sins. You, you, you enjoy living with guilt? I don't. I am Mr. Insecure. When guilt gets in my life, I just explode. He paid for all your sins and for all the sins of mankind so that whosoever will. Maybe it's challenged you. We've got a lot of talk about going on the convention, you know, election, predestination. Whosoever will is in the Bible. and and divine sovereignty and human responsibilities from Genesis to Revelation. I think it was Beecher, Brother Ray, that said, the whosoever wills are the elect and the whosoever wants are the non-elect. Does that make sense? It's like my mother-in-law was saying yesterday she shared it with her grandchildren. Jesus stands at the door and knocks but the only doorknob is on your side. But he wants. He wants. He wants to teach you how to live, how to know him. Not just as Savior, but as Lord. That Lordship is learned at the cross. And then uh, let's close out with 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4. Go to the next. Letter to the Corinthians. Second Corinthians three, the last three verses, says, But whenever Anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Uh, the Spurgeon guy I mentioned, he was raised, he was the 12th generation Puritan preacher. The Puritans weren't strange people if you've read that in history. They, they were the graduates of Oxford and Cambridge in the 15th and 16th century. They established Harvard University 1636 or 38. How Harvard University is named after John Harvard a Puritan minister. You can still find it in the original writings. The philosophy of education of Harvard University is this. The chief aim of all education is to understand and know God the Father and Jesus Christ his Son. That's what they say. Spurgeon was a 12th generation Puritan. He'd been raised in it but he didn't come to Christ until he was 15. He says from age 10 to 15, he struggled so deeply. He knew sin, but he didn't know the answer to sin. And he tried in so many ways to be good enough until one day he heard a lay Methodist preacher, man, a layman filling in for the regular preacher because it had snowed that day in that town. And he preached in Isaiah 45, 22. Look unto me, turn to me, all ye ends of the earth, and be ye saved. And Spurgeon said, it hit me. All I had to do was turn to Him. All I had to do was turn to Him. That's all you have to do every day is turn to Him.
0: Amen.
1: It doesn't just happen once in a lifetime. It happens daily in our lives. Keep turning to Him. That's what the writer of the Hebrews says in Hebrews 12, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Now, verse 17 of 2 Corinthians 3, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That's where Jerry Falwell Sr. got the name for Liberty University. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord, the Lord's glory. As we do that, we are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Again, it's not rocket science. It's, It's been written by so many writers. Psychology has documented this. Whatever you're fixated on, whatever you're committed to, whatever you're focused on is what you become. Isn't it amazing? that we can daily be focused on Jesus.
0: Yes, amen.
1: In spite of all my wickedness and sinfulness and mistakes and defeats and flub ups, he still calls me to look to him.
0: God. Thank you, Lord.
1: Jesus had to tell Peter three times, Peter, it's not the object, I mean, it's not your love that's going to see you through, it's the object of your love that's going to see you through. Follow me. And then in chapter 4, he writes at verse 5, For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. Verse 7, But we have this treasure in these jars of clay, and some of these jars are getting older and older, To show that this all-surpassing power is from God, and not from us. I love what Spurgeon did in training pastors and raising up. They, They planted 200 churches during his lifetime, of guys that they came out of his their church. The church together training sent them out. He said the power is not in the preacher. It's not in the messenger it's in the message and the author of the message Jesus Christ verses 10-11 we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus you know on the surface that doesn't sound very inspiring but if we put together these verses we've been looking at and what was in that call to be living at the cross this makes sense we always carry Psalm 16:8 I always keep my eyes on the Lord. With him at my right hand I will never be shaken. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus. You need courage? You need calm? You need confidence? Would you study Jesus? Would you please get your PhD in Jesus? Jesiology, even when he's going to the cross for the joy set before him. Hebrews 12, 3. Jesus can give you that kind of calm. He can give you that kind of confidence. He can give you that kind of courage. So that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that His life may also be revealed in our mortal body. If you look at what Paul writes in chapter 2, verse 14 of this second letter, that's what we all need. My attitudes get pretty stinky, but when Jesus is nearby my heart, I smell good because people smell him in me. That's a good deal, amen? In just a moment, we're going to close our time together. If you're here and you've never given your heart to Jesus, that's what he's talking about in Revelation 3.20. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. And then he makes other statements and promises to you and me. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So live like it. Act like it. Rejoice in that. And set your heart for that high calling and that medal to be received. Running the race in his name. That you can be a participant in the gospel. And if you have, and for some reason, and it happens to all of us, if that love has gotten cool, That's why he writes to the first church of the seven churches in Revelations 2 and 3. You're doing a lot of good things. You're you're doing the mechanics. You're showing things that you're a Christian, but you've left your first love. That flame isn't lit. It's not going right now. Use this opportunity to tell Jesus between you and him, Lord, I want to have a hot heart for you. I don't want to waste a day and without your amazing grace being operative act in my heart I'm wasting it I mean I'm just I'm I'm losing I don't want to lose life anymore I want to live it I want to be alive while I'm alive and you're the only one that can make me alive I am the way the truth and the life let's pray would you stand with me please dear father We are so grateful. We'll never fully know your glory, your holiness, your love until we are with you someday. But until we get there, God, would you help us be learning more about it every day? You have us in this school here on earth. That while we're here, our example, our lives, our lips can be used of you to proclaim your glory and your son's gospel. We want that, Lord. We need that. There's no greater place to live. So, God, we pray, work in our hearts. Help us to make decisions, even this morning, as your Spirit speaks to us what you are saying, for us to trust you and follow you in. As we begin to sing this hymn of invitation. If God's Spirit is saying, I need to trust Christ and take Him into my life as Lord and Savior, I'll be here at the front of the altar area to greet you and pray with you. If you just want to come and pray about some things, whatever the Spirit of God's saying, you come. Keith, Nate, Ben, would you come up and help, please? penalty that knew no sin
0: that we might become His righteousness He humbled Himself and carried the cross love so amazing yes and it's love It has been good to be in the house of the Lord this morning.
1: May we leave rejoicing and may we leave applying that truth which Dr. Earl shared with us. We thank you.
0: Father, we thank you as we leave. Use us this week. We may be that only hope someone may
1: encounter, that we may be used to point them to Jesus.
0: Christ, when one day every knee will bow, every tongue confess. He is King of kings and Lord of lords. In his name we thank you. Amen and amen. Thank you so much. Greet Dr.
1: Earls. would you please?
0: The Bible says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.